All right, we'll get started. Can everybody hear me good? All right, I'm going to pick on Tom in the front here. Um, I've done some teaching in the last couple of years, but uh, when I was in Poland, I did obviously taught midweek and on Sunday. So if I uh, hesitate as I'm teaching, Tom's going to remind me to wake up because I had the benefit of having my wife that was my translator. So I'd, I'd uh, read a, a portion and comment on it and then let my wife um, you know, translate. So I had some time in between to make some adjustments. So if you see me staring off, please wake me up. Um, yeah, just so you know, we will be in Ephesians, um, the entire, not the entire chapter, but chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Uh, some cross-reference uh, supporting scriptures. We will be in 1 Corinthians 12. We'll also be in Romans chapter 12. And those will be the main cross-references. Uh, we won't do a lot of turning, but they're all within the same vicinity, so it shouldn't be too bad. Um, and before we get started, I, I just kind of want to talk a little bit. Um, it, this is more for me and just a reminder for me, but I think it's, it's good for all of us. Uh, when Pastor Dwight asked me if I would uh, be willing to um, do a study, I, I told him, uh, you know, definitely. The Lord actually had spoke to me a couple weeks ago. I didn't know why, but like I should um, kind of be ready and, and have a study, which at that time I didn't have it prepared. But after Pastor White asked me and I agreed, I started praying about it. And I thought a good place to start for myself. Um, and before we get into the study and to encourage everybody is right away I went to, okay, the word. We know the word is very important. So I went to some of the scriptures that I know. Uh, to just support uh, what it is that, you know, we're doing here tonight. So you can turn there. Otherwise, I, I will just touch on them very briefly. The first one's uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, and I'm sure all of you know all of these. And you'll find out by the time we're done tonight that I will do a lot of, um, not necessarily word studies, but I will give definitions of the words. Um, it helps me when I'm reading through the word. Often I will go to the Greek um, just to get a better understanding of that word, because sometimes I think I know what the English word means, but uh, sometimes I need some more description. So you'll, you'll notice very quickly that I do a lot of that. So I'll just read Second Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And the reason I went to this uh, verse is because when I found out that I was going to be teaching, we should always handle the Word of God uh, very carefully, but I knew I was going to be teaching, and it's very important to take uh, the Word very serious and uh, ministering the Word to others. So and that's one of the reasons I, I look to this scripture. And, and the word study in the Greek there means uh, to use speed or to make an effort. Um, to give diligence, so that's what my prayer is tonight, that I have done that, and, and that uh, we all would be blessed. And then, uh, to show yourself approved unto God, the approved there in the Greek uh, means tried, like you're tried and tested, so that, you know, um, I would be tried. And then, a workman, uh, we're a workman that needs not be ashamed. Um, this is, a, I think, a, kind of an older word, but the in the, as I was looking up the Greek word, it means a toiler. Uh, I don't hear that used a lot in our language uh, anymore, but it means 
um, a, a laborer who was doing very hard, dull work, um, and figuratively a teacher. And then the last word is uh, rightly dividing. And the dividing there means it's, uh, it's different from a, a different instrument that might be more like cutting, but the dividing is to make a very straight, very deliberate cut um, that happens immediately. So um, we'll pray before we start. But my heart is as we get into the word that we can, we can uh, rightly divide the word of truth and that it would speak to us. And then the second scripture I went to automatically was uh, again in, in Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And again, we hear these scriptures all the time, but I wanted to take a moment and just kind of reflect on it as I have all week on what that scripture means. And I'll touch on it in a, in a few minutes, but again, we need to realize we are going to read a historical account of Paul writing to the Ephesians. So we, we have it, whatever version you have, we have it here on paper. Um, they're words, it's a historical count. But we can never, ever forget that the words that are, are penned, they were God-breathed. There, there's many other literary works that, you know, are, are great works in themselves, but none of them can claim to be inspired by God. Um, so that's very important. And profitable, uh, what would help, help me there as I was checking is, uh, the Greek word means it's helpful, ser- serviceable, or advantageous. So, you know, we're going to be reading the word uh, tonight and, and, and digging in. It's going to be advantageous for us. And then what is it uh, advantageous for? Uh, doctrine, which is um, quite simply instruction, learning, and then reproof, which is, um, you know, for conviction. Uh, and then correction. Um, I like this. I mean, we know what, usually we have a negative, you know, connotation with correction. I did something I shouldn't have, so I'm getting corrected. But in the Greek, um, the the English word to explain it, uh, I think better is is straightening up again. Um, You know, as we go through the word uh, tonight, there may be something that speaks to uh, you or speaks to me that um, it's a straightening up, if you will, maybe I'm thinking this way, and I've read textbooks, and the world tells me this, but I'm going to read the word, and the scripture can straighten me up again. And then the last one is instruction, um, which is you know education or training. So again, th- those are the two. And then my, the last one that I wanted to camp out on a little bit is Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Uh, the word quick there is a primary verb, and it means to live or lively. Again, we are going to be reading words in our language, um, sentences, paragraphs, and it's gonna it's historical in nature because it already happened, but we need to understand that we are gonna be reading it tonight and it the word says it is lively. It's alive. It is not like any other book. So we need to keep that in mind. It's powerful. 
Um, the Greek word there is energos, which we get our word energy from. It's active. So not only is it, is it living, the words we're going to read tonight, that were God-inspired, but they are active. And then sharper than any two-edged sword, sharper um, to cut, again, as by a single stroke. So um, I thought it very important that we go through this because I think too often, you know, we, we, we read the word, and at least for me, I see him, the words on the pages, but, you know, I'm not realizing what the word just told us, that it's alive, it's sharp, it's, it's you know, profitable for many things for us. And so it's my prayer tonight as we get into the study that we are going to um, feel the effects of that. Um, so the text that we're about to read, when um, we read through it, I really want us to understand these three scriptures as a backdrop and that we're about to read that it is God-ordained, God chose the men that he chose and breathed through them to inspire them to write this. So we need to remember it's God-ordained, and it's also God-arranged. So we're going to be reading about the body of Christ tonight and the gifts and things like that. We need to realize that there is a reason, as Paul was inspired to write this letter to the Ephesians, there's a reason in and the reason that God arranged it in the way he did. Um, so again, I just wanted to take the time. We're going to seek the Lord now um, to ask that he blesses the uh, study of his word, and, and we'll get into the study. Uh, Father, I want to come before you, and um, again, Lord, your word um, is incredible. It, th- this is your letter to us, the words that we will read on the pages of our Bible, but they are lively. Lord, they are profitable. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would just bless this Bible study, that you'd work through me, Lord, that by your spirit, you would speak to each and every one of us in the areas of our heart, in our mind, in which we maybe need some reproof or some straightening up or correction. We want, um, we want to have the mind of Christ. So we are asking that you'd uh, just impart wisdom to us, Lord, as you speak to us through your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you're going to hear me make reference again to a lot of, as we get into some texts that, um, quite frankly, like uh, 416, the first time I read it years ago, I didn't understand all of the, to me it seemed very jumbled and very complicated until I started breaking it down. So I, again, will make a lot of reference to uh, the meaning uh, the Greek of the Greek words. I'm not going to call out the Greek pronunciations uh, necessarily or the Greek numbers, but just know that as a backdrop that um, I did do a lot of um, you know, research in that area. And I just wanted to mention inductive Bible study. I know uh, Pastor Tim and Pastor Dwight have mentioned, and I know... Um, the ladies go through inductive Bible studies, but I just wanted to uh, mention as a backdrop that I will probably be pointing out several times the application part. Um, when we were in Bible college, I mean, there we loved inductive Bible 
study. There'd be times that um, Eva would be sleeping and me and some of the guys would be drinking coffee. We'd be up till one or two in the morning going through uh, IBS. But the reason it's important, and I'm not going to get into all the, uh, all the specifics, but in general, inductive Bible study talks about the, the constructs of the language and um, you know, contrasts and uh, substantiations and all of that. But in general, it's reading the text and letting, letting the information in the text draw conclusions from that. And it's observation, so you observe things in the text. And then it's interpretation, what does it actually mean? And then the most important part is the application, what does it mean for my life? Um, and the reason I'm stressing this is you're, several times I'm going to literally stop and say, okay, what is the application? Because if we only do observation and interpretation of the word and not get to the application, it's like um, you know traveling all the way across the country to see some beautiful you know um, you know a piece of land and the mountains and getting so close and then not actually seeing it because the application is is where we're going to grow so I just wanted to make mention I will be talking uh, quite a bit about application as we get into different parts and I'll just stop and you know kind of throw out a rhetorical question and ask about an application so I'm doing things a little different um, tonight I mean normally you would go in some type of order but I wanted to start with what I would uh, call um, the pivotal text I had a title to study the uh, body's nourishment the body of Christ so I want to go to uh, Ephesians 4.16 and just read it and then as I work my way back, uh, chapter 4, and then we'll, we'll briefly go chap- through chapters 1, 2, and 3, because I want us to remember that we're going to end up in 16, and then we'll spend some more time there developing that. But let me read verse 16 of chapter 4. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted, by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So that, this is, that's going to be our ending point, and that's where we're going to spend a lot of time uh, when I get there, uh, making a comparison between the actual body our human body, and I'll give some references to the anatomy and how our human body works, and obviously the most important is how the body of Christ uh, is to work together. So that will be our end point, but I wanted to start with that. So let's go to chapter 4, the beginning. So um, Paul the Apostle, in his very first two words, says, I therefore, as he's writing to the Ephesians, he says, I the Apostle Paul, therefore, um, you know, and the question is, first of all, we'll get to the actual therefore, the conjunctive adverb, but what Paul is doing is he is exhorting, he's going to be exhorting the Ephesian believers to do something. It's, it's Paul's appeal to them, and, and he was, in a way, he was the Ephesians, um, you know, spiritual father. On his second missionary journey, I think it's in uh, Acts 18, towards the end, that was his second missionary journey. 
He had spent some time in Ephesus, and they actually wanted him to stay uh, longer, but uh, he needed to, he wanted to uh, try to get to uh, uh, Jerusalem for the Pentecost, so he did not stay longer on that visit. Then on the next missionary journey, his last one, on the, the third one, he stayed in Ephesus, and he was there for over two, two and a half years teaching daily. And then at the end of the third missionary journey, after he'd gone up into Asia Minor and came around, he didn't quite make it to Ephesus, but he uh, was at a um, city called Miletus, and he actually called at that point for the Ephesian elders and wanted to speak to them. So as we read Ephesians, again, this was... Some people debate if it was his first imprisonment or second, but this would have been after his missionary journeys, after he had already spent over two and a half, some say three years total, with the Ephesians on two missionary journeys. He's writing back to them, and he's going to be exhorting them to do something. And So that's why I just wanted to, to start with I therefore. So Paul is, is, is calling the Ephesian uh, believers, to, to do something. And again, the therefore in our text and our language is a con- conjunctive adverb, which means it's connecting two independent clauses. So in essence, it, when you see a therefore, it is for that reason or that cause. We should be saying, well, wh- what are you talking about? You're going to ask us to do something, but why is it that you're asking us to do it? And so what is the reason or call cause that Paul is talking about? And we're going to briefly go through several of them. But in general, to sum it up, in chapters 1 through 3, he's reminding the Ephesian believers of God's glorious and abundant provisions through you know, redemption and forgiveness of sins. And we'll go through the list. But so what he's doing is he's telling them, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm appealing to you. And why am I appealing to you? I'm appealing to you because of the the wonderful, glorious promises that God and provisions that he has given you. So I'll just start, and I'm just going to touch on a couple of these, encourage you to go back and read all three chapters, because as I was going through and studying, I could have probably written another 15 or 20, and we wouldn't have got to our text. But I want to just touch on a couple of them. So we have Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So the Ephesians had spiritual blessings in heaven. So that was one reason um, one cause for what Paul was going to ask him to do. And then uh, in verse 4, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So the Ephesian believers were should have been thankful. They were going to be called to do something. One of the, the glorious promises that God did was that he chose them before the foundation of the world. And I can't sit here and tell you I understand that because that's outside of time and and we are not outside of time, but God is. But that's a glorious promise. Uh, Many of us, you know, whatever testimony we had, we were were traveling through this world doing our own thing. 
Um, and, you know, whether it was somebody witnessing the Holy Spirit, however he worked, we came to that glorious day that we actually bowed our knee and accepted Christ. But the point is, he had already chosen us before the foundations. Everything that we see, God had chosen us before the foundations of the world, just like he chose the Ephesian believers that Paul, in, in our text, was you know speaking to. So I wanted to touch on that one. The next one is, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the Beloved. We are accepted in God's eyes because of the beloved Jesus Christ who took our sins. Um, people can say that they are, aren't looking for it, but we all want acceptance. And there's no better acceptance one can have than knowing God has accepted us because of our belief and trusting in what his son did for us. Uh, Ephesians 1 7, we have redemption, we have the forgiveness of sins. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Again, we're only seven uh, verses in, and we've already hit on like four of them on why Paul was saying the Ephesians um, were going, the cause, the reason that he was going to be asking something of them was because of what God had done. Um, if we go to verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So we, we've obtained an inheritance. And one of my personal favorites is Ephesians 13 and 14. In whom... Ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Now again, Paul's speaking to the Ephesian believers that no doubt he had a chance to spend, he was there for two and a half years, you know, day in and day out. But what he's pointing is, you heard the word of truth. Did not each of every one of us at some point in our life when we came to faith, we heard the word of truth. We heard about salvation. And after that, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You know, and ever you you know the gospel where Jesus said, "I'm going to leave you a comforter." That is a seal. That is God's earnest, the the Holy Spirit that we have in us. That is the earnest, the down payment that God gave for His uh, purchased possession, which is us. Again, we should just be ecstatic with the the wonderful provisions that God has made. And again. I want to take us back to the text. That's what Paul is calling the Ephesians to do, and that's why the, the, the I therefore, he's referring back to the, chap, the three chapters of all of the provisions that God had given them. Uh, Ephesians 1.19, just a few more here. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Aren't we glad that it's his power and not our power? Um, 
Many times we struggle in trying to do things on our own strength, but we, we have the power of God um, for those who believe. That's a, that's a wonderful provision. Um, and then I want to jump over to Ephesians three eighteen and 19. As Paul is encouraging the Ephesians and encouraging us as we read the word, that we may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breath, length, depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ, which pass knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. So to know um, Christ's love. And then to finish it up, uh, before we get back to where we started in chapter 4, Paul writes, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Uh, What I took away from those two verses is he's able you know, uh, he's all sovereign, all knowing, all powerful. He is able to do any and all things for us. So again, um, just in review, many, you, you could read the rest of uh, what I had left out. You will find many more promises and provisions that God had given to the believers of Ephesus. And those are also ours. And um, I just thought we needed to go through that so we understand when we get to Paul's appeal why it is that he was um, asking them to do that because he was pointing back to all of the provisions that God um, had done for them. So Paul's appeal. Okay, so what was Paul's appeal to do what? Uh, We'll just start with um, verses 1 through 3. I therefore... The prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So again, this is uh, uh, walk. Uh, we all know what it is to walk, like physically walk, but. Um, I like the, the, the Greek, you know, as you dig into the explanation in the English here, is to live or to be occupied. So Paul's saying, you know, you need to be occupied, okay, with, and the vocation there is your calling or your invitation, the invitation that Christ had given to them. We just discussed in chapters 1 through 3 some of the things that he did for them. So he's saying, be occupied, live um, according to your calling. And then, then he tells them how it is that they are to do this. He says, uh, in all lowliness. Um, this means modesty or humbleness of mind. And then he goes on to use the word meekness, which, again, meekness does not mean weak. It's, it's a gentleness. And then long-suffering, which, you know, is patience. And then forbearing. Um, forbearing is a, a good word, but uh, the the it, it kind of sticks out to me when I when I read it. It says to put up with or suffer. Um, forbearing doesn't seem to to grab it as much as when you know whatever it could be that we're going through that we may need to suffer. We may 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 need to put up with something that is very uncomfortable or very difficult, and and that's what forbearing is. And then endeavoring. Paul is encouraging 
them, asking them, he's beseeching them to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit. Um, and, and essentially, endeavoring just means to make an effort, to be diligent. And, and then uh, to keep means to guard. So diligently guard. And then the spirit is um, there. It, the, the idea there is that not necessarily you know, Holy Spirit, but the spirit in the bond of peace, meaning endeavor amongst the body. And again, he's going to go into this, talking about the body, that you would make an effort as believers, Ephesians, Paul is saying, make an effort to, to guard and to, to keep that, you know, that oneness um, amongst the believers there in Ephesus. And then uh, next we're going to go to the, the unity uh, that we see in the scriptures here. And this will be Ephesians uh, verse 4, or I'm sorry, chapter 4, verses 4 through 12. There is one body, Paul told them, and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why did he give them? He gave them for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Uh, I'd like you to um, uh, move over to uh, 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to read a a portion of supporting text um, that'll kind of shed some light on what we just read. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 16, 26, I'm sorry. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble 
are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lack, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. So again, you see some of the same uh, theme uh, in Corinthians, some of the same language in, in talking about the body and being one, as we read in Ephesians. Um, you know, and again, this is, this is um, one one part where I'd like to just stop and rhetorically ask, you know, what part of the body are are you? Uh, we're going to talk and, and develop this more, but, you know, I have to ask that we, we all need to. Some of us clearly know what uh, part of the body of Christ we are and the giftings that we have uh, by the measure of the grace of God, but it's something that we need to ask the Lord because we are part of the body and... Um, you know, for the body to function properly, we all need to uh, know what our role is in the body and, and to perform that. And again, I'll develop that a little later, but just ask your question, what part of the body are you? Um, and, I, and I wanted to take a moment and talk about, um, in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty two. Um, he said, nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And we'll hopefully, at the end, we'll talk more about this when we talk about the literal human anatomy. But I just want to briefly um, talk. Um, Albert uh, Barnes, uh, he was from 1870. He's one of the uh, commentators that I use a lot just to, to try to um, get some ideas on, on some scriptures if I'm not understanding it. Uh, what he had said is, in, in regards to this verse, the more feeble... When, when you talk about the actual physical body, he said it's, it's like the heart and the lungs. Um, they're obviously very important, but they're more feeble because they're, they're actually protected in a way by the rest of the body because if something happens to them, they can very easily be hurt. As opposed to like your hands and feet, um, you know, that's something that everybody, we see the hands and the feet and the legs, but, you know, God forbid that any of us would lose a limb, but you can live without a limb. You cannot live without a heart. You cannot live without lungs and, you know, some of the, the internal organs that we have. So when, when he made reference to the feeble, he said they're, they're parts of the, of the actual physical body. So, you know, the, the question then, again, if, if this word is inspired, God ordained it and he arranged it, in Ephesians and Corinthians, he so chose to inspire those who wrote it to talk about the human body when he was talking, obviously, about the body of Christ. So the point is, there are maybe certain um, roles, uh, offices, uh, ministries that we see outwardly just because of their nature but there are a lot of other uh, what we might call feeble um, members in the body of Christ 
that are not seen, but they are as vital and as crucial to the body being uh, nurtured and growing as any other member. So, again, I want to just throw out the the challenge to all of us is, you know, I, I would never want anybody ever thinking that they are, are not important in the body of Christ. If they truly are born again and in the body of Christ, they have a role. It doesn't matter to what degree. It does not matter if anyone sees it or not. And, and again, we will develop this a little bit later, but it is vital to the health of the body of Christ. And so I just thought it very important that, you know, because in our world, again, we we prayed about it earlier, The I think I mentioned correction, a straightening up. In the world, everything we see, if it's music, if it's sports, if it's entertainment, what, what are we taught from early on that you, it, you have to be, um, you know, some grandiose position, importance, you know, you have to excel, you have to be the best. I, I, don't, I don't see that in the scriptures that I read and the digging that I'm doing. There are parts of the body that um, nobody in this particular body even knows what their ministry is. There's people probably at home right now, there's people that are praying fervently for our pastor, for the worship team, for other people, and we might not even know it, but that's the lifeblood of the body. So I just think it's very important. We have missionaries, we have children's ministry. Everyone is called and has a gifting and has a role in the body, and no one should ever, ever minimize it and think that it's not important enough because again in God's economy he does not measure it like we do in our everyday life because we look at the biggest the best the fastest this is this is that's worldly thinking that's not what we're talking about here and then uh, in verse 25 Paul says that there should be no schism in the body but so we have a contrast here schism is a split or gap, a division. So Paul says, after he goes through uh, this, this wonderful language about the body and, and needing to you know, work together, he says that there should be no schism, so that means no gap or no split in the body, but, so the contrast is, what is Paul saying? That the members should have the same care one for another. So, as brothers and sisters in this particular local fellowship, we should have care one for another. Um, the body at large in the Appleton Fox Cities area. And again, it, it, it does bring about the connotation of, of literally having care. Maybe it's uh, supporting somebody, praying for them, uh, talking with them um, you know, in a tangible way. But it also, um, as I studied here, the same care for uh, one another also means just that we as a body would have, uh, the end goal would be the interest of the entire church, the entire body here. And then I wanted to uh, move over to Romans chapter 12. Uh, just a few verses here. We're going to go through uh, 3 through 8. Paul said, as he wrote to the Romans, I beseech you, so we have another I beseech you, 
Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy, according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us await on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And Paul says that to the Ephesians, they are not to think more highly of themselves. Really, what 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 Paul, when you read that text there, he's saying not everybody has the same measure of faith. They, they don't have the, the same office uh, or it might be the degree into which their ministry. It, not everything is equal. So he's warning them. He's saying don't think you know, highly uh, of yourself. So the Lord has given you talents, right, or maybe a position, or maybe you're gifted in, in one area, music, one area of your life, and the Lord's using you mightily. Paul is encouraging them not to think more highly of themselves. So they, they should not uh, be judging themselves based on, on the talents or the office that they have. So he was cautioning them against pride. And in the end, when you, when you think it through, as you read... Um, in the earlier scriptures, and we'll be reading it again, it clearly says that God is the one that gives the gift and the measure of faith in exercising that gift. So anybody who does have an office or a talent or a gifting that the Lord has given them, they have no right to boast. They have no right in their mind to be thinking that you know they are something that someone else is not because God is the one that has given it to them. And then in verse 6, he says, having then gifts differing according to the grace. Um, so here, God is the one that gives the gifts. And, and why does he give the gifts? And we've all heard you know the teachings on how the Corinthians were not uh, using the gifts uh, that they were bestowed upon by the Lord properly, but they, the reason that we get the gifts is not for ourselves. The gift we get is so that we can use that to bring nourishment to the body of Christ, whether that be here or locally. That is what the gift is for. And then one more cross-reference. We're going to go back to Corinthians 12, and we're going to pick up in the earlier part, uh, 4 through 11, I will read. Now there are diversities of gifts, 
but the same spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which work all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another divers kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. So here we, we get a list of some of the gifts. This is not an exhaustive list, but we read here in Corinthians about the gifts. Um, I'll just start back in uh, verse 4. It says, Now there are diversities of gifts. So what does that mean? It means that there are distinctions or varieties of the gift. So not everybody has the exact same gift. And then there, in verse 5, it says there's differences of administrations. What does that mean? Well, the administration is the type of service, the office, or the ministry. So um, not only are the gifts um, varying in their distinctions, but the, the type of service that, that you will um, use your gift might be different um, depending on what that administration is, what God has called you to. And then the last one on 1 Corinthians twelve six, and there are diversities of operations. And what is this talking about? This is talking about the results or, or the action of the actual um, gift that, that you've been given the administration and the operation would be the, the effects of your ministry. And again, the point is, it's very varying. It's it's independent. Uh, none of us should look at another person and say, "Well, you know, I I don't know. They they sing and I sing, but you know, they've they're on a worship team and they do this. Maybe your singing um, is you know maybe not that on that big of a scale, but maybe it's ministering to to someone else in in a, in a smaller um, type uh, setting. The the point is we shouldn't be looking at others." But we should be asking the Lord, what is the gift you've given me? What type of service do you want me to, to use that gift in? And then, you know, the, the effects and the results, you know, that, that's up to the Lord. Uh, we can go back to Ephesians then and we'll, we'll work on uh, finishing this up. Um, so we went through, we went through the, the uh, portion of unity talking about the one body of Christ and talking about the gifts, that we all have different gifts. Now I want to kind of camp on the growth um, of, of the uh, body of Christ. And again, Paul was writing to the Ephesians here using the example of the body. Um, so the Lord is speaking to us tonight, those of us here at Calvary of Appleton in this local body, you know, and, and saying, you know, what is it that we need to do that we would, you know, we would grow as a body? Um, we'll start with uh, verses 13 through 15. Paul says that um, all of these gifts and the different, you know, the, the edifying and the prophets and the pastors, that was all given to the church for the ministering that until we all come into the unity of the faith, 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. So what do we see here? We, we, we see the, um, Paul talking about coming to the unity of faith. Um, and as I was reading this and checking the Greek, and you know, because some people, when we hear unity of faith, you know, we think, oh, it's laying aside everything and, and you know, and saying, okay, we're just going to be in unity. Um, as, as I was reading and studying on this, it, it, it takes more of that the faith of the believers, and again, he's speaking to the Ephesians here, that the faith of the Ephesians would that they would all come to the same faith or the uh, what is faith faith is having trust in God so that they would all come to the same confidence in the Son of God in his ability um, to work in their life and and do what only he can do and then then Paul uses the word perfect man here, and again here the thought is that not speaking about a man but speaking to the church that Okay, they, they were babes in Christ, but they, they would grow up into uh, a mature uh, church. And then um, he speaks about the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Um, so, you know, one way of looking at that is we can say that the church in Ephesus, or us, the church here, that we would become holy like Christ, that Christ is the measure and standard for what we do and how we do what we do. And then um, in verse 14, we have the uh, 14 and 15, we have the contrast. Um, I didn't really develop this a lot, and obviously, I don't know how many years this would be. It's not like it'd be 10 or 15 years, but Paul went there. A lot of people got saved. He was there for two and a half years teaching them, and then he was writing to them. But he had said that, okay, you have all of these giftings, you have these prophets, pastors, evangelists, therefore you're edifying, you're building up, and he's saying, based on all that, I'm encouraging you, be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness. So he's saying, don't be children. Um, And again, I don't know if he's talking about Children, children, like little children, or um, you know, what little children are simple-minded, right? I mean, they're in the development stage. Most of the time, you tell a little child something, um, they are going to believe it um, until they, you know, can get older and reason um, for themselves. So Paul's saying, don't be like little children. And the toss to and fro there is very much like a a term on the sea, the waves on the sea. You know, don't be like a boat just out in the sea, just floating around however, you know, the waves are going to take you. Uh, And then he he says, don't be carried about with every wind of doctrine. Um, And this, this, um, again, is kind of like a sailing term, but uh, I'm not a sailor, so I don't know, but basically it's don't go out in the water and with your boat and not have like a set course on what you're going to do. 
um, you know, go out there with a set course. And then the sleight of men, I thought this one was interesting. He's warning them, don't be tossed to and fro, have some purpose, okay? Don't just be out there floating around. And he says, be careful for the sleight of men. Um, and what I have written down here is the cunning or trickery. The, the Greek word is, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but it's kubia, which actually we get our word cube from or die playing a game. Um, you know, so obviously there's lots of games that you can play with dice that are kind of like a trickery. So he's saying, don't be taken in by the trickery of men. And then you see the uh, contrast word, but in verse 15. So he's saying, this is what I don't want you to do. This is what I'm calling you to do. Verse 15 but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. So the truth in love, uh, um, Albert Barnes, I like the way he said this, uh, speaking the truth in love, he, he called it truthing in love. Um, you know, it's talking about the simple truth of God's word. And the, the speaking in love part is that Whoever we're speaking it to, that sometimes the truth that we can speak to them has to be difficult. So it's not saying tell them what they want to hear, but the speaking in love means that you have the love of their soul um, at, in, you know, in your mind that when you're telling them this truth, that um, they who hear it, that you are you know, concern with their soul. That's what it's talking about. It's not saying tell the person, you know, all sweet things that they want to hear, but speaking the truth in love. And uh, I better get going here. Um, finishing up, um, again, where I was hoping that we could camp out longer. Uh, verse 16, um, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So I'm going to try to uh, get through this part so I can make sure we finish with some application and conclusion. I'm going to be mixing in here. I'm going to quickly give the, the Greek meaning of these words, and then I'm going to be... Um, picking out just some highlights from uh, Barnes' uh, commentary on the human body and obviously also on Christ's body. But the fitly joined together means to render closely jointed together or to organize compactly. And then uh, the compacted has more of a meaning of knitting together or to drive together. And, and then supplieth means like a contribution um, that the parts are giving a contribution. The effectual working is, this is again that word uh, energia, which is energy or operation. And then uh, it makes reference to making increase of the body. This is growth. The increase there means growth. And then the edifying uh, is an, it, like a word for architecture. It's uh, a structure or building. So, you know, building that, that building up. So I want to try to um, hit on just some real high notes from Barnes in regards to the words. So he says, from whom the whole body, uh, verse 16. As, this talking about the human body, 
the head in the human frame conveys vital influence, rigor, and motion. Christ is the source of life and rigor and energy and increase to the church. The whole human body is arranged for growth and rigor. And again, if, do your own Googling, research, autonomy. They will tell you that the body is arranged perfectly. And, and the reason that it's arranged with every member being the way it is, is for actual um, growth. That's one reason. All parts of the body depend on the head with reference to the most important functions of life. They derive their rigor from the head. Um, and it's beautifully organized in its various members and offices as the body is. So again, in the human body, we have the head that provides all the substance for the rest of our body. And, you know, we know that Christ is our head. Uh, if I move down to fitly joined, um, just real quickly here, he said, each member in the human body is in the best place it can be. It's properly united to the other members. Um, let anyone examine, for instance, the tendons, nerves, muscles, and bones by which the foot is secured to the body and by which easy and graceful motion is obtained, and he will be satisfied of the wisdom by which the body is joined together. Again, this, this is an actual fact. We know this. God chose to use the analogy of the human body to show us the picture of what the spiritual body should be. Every, it's all working together. Uh, and then um, the portion of the scripture where it says, by that which every joint supplies, the literal meaning is through every joint of supply. And um, Barnes comments here that th this is not talking about like the binding of, of the ankle or maybe my arm. But this has a different um, meaning in the Greek, but rather it, that which unites or fastens together the different parts of the frame. So again, Barnes is talking right now about the physical body, but obviously will make the spiritual connection. The blood, vessels, cords, tendons, and muscles. This is what he's talking about binding together. He says, such means of connecting one part of the body with another ministers nourishment to the whole body. One part derives nourishment from another in our physical body. And, and that's why I spent the time going over the scriptures before in Corinthians and Romans, because we are a body of Christ here. Each of us has a different gift according to the measure of God's grace and a different service, but we, each of us, when we're found and working the way we should as the member and using our gift, we're, um, we're providing nourishment to one another. Um, thus, all become mutually useful as contributing to the support and harmony of the whole. Um, last one, according to the effectual working. So here he said, each part contributes to the production of the whole result. Again, he's talking about the physical body, but he also talks spiritually. Every part labors to produce the great result. None is, none, no part is idle, no part is useless, no part is overtaxed or overworked. The support demanded and furnished by every part is in exact proportion to its strength.
Um, and then last, uh, finishing up verse 16, when you go through all this, he says, the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And uh, Barnes' commentary on love is, he says, with as complex as our human body is, and our spiritual body, obviously, as well, there is no jar, no collision, no disturbance of one part with another. A great number of parts composed of different substances and with different functions, bones and nerves and muscles and blood vessels, are united in one and live together with collision, without collision, and so it should be in the church. And again, um, it's endless, uh, verse 16, if you would check the anatomy and all of the comparisons of the reference of the body and then spiritually dig in to see how our body of Christ should work. But I just you know, scratched the surface here. So in conclusion, if we look at the application of the text that we read, as the Ephesians, when Paul was beseeching them and said, I therefore, again, what was he? He was pointing back to, we should remember when we were outside of Christ, when we were in the world, when we got saved, all of the wonderful things that just that one day when we bowed our knee, that we instantly had promises and provisions that God had, had done for us. So we should look back and we should remember that. We should take the text at its word and says that God gives gifts to men he decides what gifts they get, what measure they get. So we should seek to understand what our giftings and measure of grace that God's bestowed upon us. We should make sure we keep the lowliness of mind, though, when we do it. And also, I like what Barnes said, we should not be overtaxed, um, but we should exercise our role according to the strength that God has given us. And we need to remember, as the text clearly teaches, that we are one part of the body. We are a member of the body, and we're a member of a greater whole. And the part that God has called you and gifted you for is needful to bring nourishment to the rest of the body. And finally, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we all know, is the head of the body. And we, we cannot... Um, do anything without the head which gives you know life to the entire body and he's given life to the church so he is the source of life and energy and increase in the church and we depend on him to sustain us each and every day but as we as we do that he continues to work through his body of of christ and again if we are using our giftings and our place in the body Obviously, with the head's help, our Lord, um, the body will continue to be nourished and grow. And, and, and obviously, the stronger the body is, the more that um, Christ can be glorified and more people can be brought to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So let me close in prayer. Uh, Father, Lord, we thank you uh, so much for your scripture, which is alive um, which is uh, sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, I pray that the words that we read here tonight, that by your spirit, that they would uh, bring life um, to our hearts and our mind, that we would understand, that we'd meditate upon this. And Lord, I just encourage all of us, Lord, to seek you to really understand our role in the body of Christ and the giftings that you've given us. And Lord Jesus, we need... Um, 
to nourish one another, that this body would grow stronger. And Lord, that we can ultimately, each and every one of us, and each of us uh, making up the whole, that we can glorify you in all that we do, Lord Jesus. So we thank you for this time, and we give you all praise and all glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.